Amen. God's grace has been so good to us, and he has given us such a blessing in the fact that we no longer are identified by our sin, but by the grace that he showed to us. In fact, I have one verse for you that I want to share this morning, and then I get to talk for the next two hours and 30 minutes. I'm just kidding. Specifically about this verse. John chapter 3, verse 16 is perhaps the most familiar verse in all of Scripture. We've seen it at football games, but rarely do we actually stop and think about what it actually says. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is the hope of Christianity. That is the hope of all humanity, that Jesus Christ became our, God's instrument of love for us that he made a way for our sins to be forgiven. As we get started this morning, first of all, I will give you a heads up, husbands. In case you did not know already, today is Valentine's Day, and if you have not done anything for it, your day is not going to go as well as you expected. As being Valentine's Day, I thought it would be a good day to maybe take a look at some of the history of Valentine's Day. And as I started researching Valentine's Day... I discovered that like most holidays, it is surrounded by controversy. On the one hand, you have some who believed it was actually a pagan holiday that was simply Christianized. In other words, we took it as a part of our celebration, even though it was originally a part of someone else's celebration. Another popular myth is that this day commemorates a priest named St. Valentine, who, contrary to the dictates of the Roman emperor, performed wedding ceremonies for soldiers who were commanded to remain single. The truth is that no one really knows the exact origin of Valentine's Day. A lot of different ideas, but no one really knows. If you're like most people, your response is, who cares as long as chocolate is involved? (laughs) That's the only time I think I've heard amen when I've been preaching up here. I'm just kidding. Valentine's Day became associated with romantic love during the Middle Ages, and it is attributed to the poet Chaucer. In the 18th century in England, it evolved to where lovers would express their feelings through flowers and candies and different greeting cards. Americans began celebrating Valentine's Day in the early 1700s by exchanging handmade cards. In 1840, a lady named Esther Howland began selling the first mass-produced Valentine cards in America. Today, more than one billion Valentines will be given to their loved ones. What Americans spend on Valentine's Day is actually a little bit overwhelming. Somewhere along the way, chocolate became the candy of choice to hand out to the ones that you love. In fact, the week of Valentine's Day, which means the week leading up to Valentine's Day, is the number one week for chocolate purchases in America. One estimate puts the sale of chocolate at $345 million. Total spending for Valentine's Day, this is according to last year's totals, Total spending for Valentine's Day by Americans was $18.6 billion. B with a B, sorry. 
The average American consumer, this was last year again, was spent $130 on Valentine's Day. I will tell you that they have since updated those numbers. I was actually doing all the math this morning. The average American consumer will spend $150 on Valentine's Day this year, which brings the total to about $21.5 billion for our nation. That is a huge amount of money that's spent. And I will tell you, I think I have been cheated just a little bit. <laughs> Actually, in fairness, I have never spent $150 on Valentine's Day, so I can't blame anybody else, but I'm nowhere close to that number. You guys must be far more loving and generous than I am. <laughs> a sad reality is that most Americans spend more on Valentine's Day, though, than they do in giving to their church. Consider this, the average churchgoer attending a Protestant church gives around $17 per week. When we spend more on chocolate than we spend on Christ, it's not good for our church as a nation. We are starting a new series today. It's entitled, I Love God's Church. And let me simply say that the goal in preaching this series over the next few weeks is not to lay a guilt trip on anybody. What I do want to do is to challenge you to think about your love for Christ and for his church and what our response should be. It seems as though we're very generous with all sorts of things. Are we generous in saying how much we love our God? As I mentioned earlier in this message, I don't really care about the history of Valentine's Day. For those of us who are Christ followers, the beginning of Valentine's Day goes back much further than the history books talk about. This morning, I want to share with you about the first Valentine. In fact, let me read once more for you that first Valentine letter that God gave us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 is what Valentine's Day is truly all about. It tells us how we can get on Jesus's team and really celebrate Valentine's Day. How? By seeing several things in the verse. First of all, God's declaration of love toward us. For God so loved the world. Our world has, some, has a sometimes messed up view of what love truly means. The Greeks had various words to describe love. There are actually four different words that they used, although most people are only familiar with three of them. The first one that I'll start with is one that perhaps very few of us have heard. It was storge love, which is a love that is, it's really a, a familial love. It's, it's more involving the family. It's typically what you would experience between a, a parent and their child and a child and a parent. There's a certain type of love that says, you know what, you're a part of the family and therefore I love you. I will give, I will sacrifice. And that storge love when you begin to recognize the difference between the way you love your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband, your wife, and even the love that you would have for your mother, you begin to recognize there is a different type of love that is associated with the family. Obviously, one of the more familiar loves is eros love. 
and this is a sensual love or an erotic love, typically this would be the one that we would associate with Valentine's Day. This is that love for that individual who is very special to you, someone that you're very passionate about. And it's not the same as looking at your brother and saying, hey, I love you, but rather looking at your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend and saying, I am in love with you. There is a completely different kind of love that is represented. I mentioned the brother, which this points to our third type of love, which is a phileo love. Uh, the, the term Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, and that's because Phileo means brotherly love. This is the type of love that you would have and you could offer it basically to just about anybody. There are individuals that you know may you may know very little about them, but you can offer them your love because you love them like a brother. There are certain individuals that loving them like a brother will be easier, but we can offer a brotherly love to really just about anybody, and that's what God calls us to do. But then there is a fourth type of love. And it is called an agape love. This is the deepest kind of love. It is a love that sacrifices, a love that gives. And this is the word that is used here in John chapter 3, verse 16. Now, it's unfortunate, but in our society, often our love is stated in a way that emphasizes a conditional type of love. We use phrases like, I love you if, or I love you because here it is simply, I love you, period. It means that we love, we are loved with our warts and everything. Far too often we have looked at love as a conditional thing, but to God there is nothing conditional about it. I love you regardless of whether or not you choose to obey me. We're told that nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is not a conditional love. That is a love that will remain no matter what. And that is the type of love that he displayed in going to the cross. I think of the image of the cross and I think of Jesus hanging there hearing the insults. Individuals who were mocking him because here he is, he has claimed to be the son of God. He has claimed to be able to do all of these great things, but here he can't even save himself. This is love when Jesus responds, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. That is an agape type of love, an unconditional love that says, you don't have to do anything to earn it. I am giving it to you freely. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ has done. I want you to take a moment. I want you to consider what that means to you. Because every one of us has things in our lives that we would never want anybody to know about. There are things that we have allowed to exist Things that maybe it's in our past and we haven't done it in years and it, we hadn't even thought about it. But the reality is we know in the back of our minds that there are some very unlovely parts of our lives. I want you to know today that Jesus knows all about those unlovely parts. But he says, I love you anyways. All the times that you have failed, all the times that you have denied your relationship with him. He says, I love you anyways. That is an incredible kind of love that God offers. Too many of us have seen love 
far more conditional. You know, the image that we get of a heavenly father is sometimes skewed by the father relationships we've had in this life, the mother relationships where we've had parents that have not really loved us unconditionally. It's hard for us to comprehend what that truly means. Yet God has modeled it for us in that he gave his son to die for you. And think about that for a minute. God has modeled his love toward us. Knowing that you would reject his love at some point. That you would allow sin to take the place. The rightful place as God in your life. He said, I'm going to send my son Jesus Christ to die for you anyways. That's how much I love you. Wow. That is an unconditional, amazing kind of love. Now, I've always heard that if you think you're perfect, then you're only fooling yourself. Because everybody else has already seen your imperfections. I don't think most of us mistakenly consider ourselves to be perfect. Instead, most of us are keenly aware of all of our imperfections. And we probably wonder, how could God love us? But that's exactly what he has done. What an amazing declaration that God loves us. Do you ever sing the children's song, Jesus Loves Me? The words echo still in our hearts, even though it's probably been years since you've actually heard it sung, even in church. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. This verse is the basis for this, that song. And the multitude of others, that we, even the ones we've sang today, about God's love. God declares this morning that he loves you. The second thing that I want you to see in this verse is, not, is God's demonstration of his love. It's not just his declaration of his love, but also his demonstration of his love. That he gave his only begotten son. Not just that he loved the world, but he actually gave, he showed his love. He doesn't just say it, he does it. Words are one thing. But as the old saying goes, actions speak louder than words. This demonstration of God's love is the cross. Perhaps no passage better sums this up than Romans chapter 5, verse 8, which says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. During the month of February, as I stated earlier, billions of dollars are being spent by people attempting to demonstrate their love for someone else. Yet cards, candy, and flowers are so limited. Often they fail because there is no substance to the gift. I know it costs you, I don't know, if you buy flowers, it may cost you 150 bucks. Yet this gift that God has given us is truly amazing, and it far surpasses any cards, any flowers, any candy. You say, I don't know, Pastor, I like my candy. Consider that you could buy $150 worth of candy, and it would pale in comparison to someone choosing to lay down their entire life for you. You see, we could spend money on the people around us all we want, but it could never be the same as the love that Jesus Christ has offered to us. He shows us how much he loves us on the cross. 
The next thing I want you to see this morning in this same passage is that God requires that we make a decision to receive God's love. He has a declaration of God's love, a demonstration of God's love. Now he calls us to a decision to receive God's love. That verse says that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But catch that they must receive, they must believe. It is all there for us. God has done all the work when he sent his son to die for us. Yet we must be willing to receive that gift. I'll use another holiday, Christmas, uh, as a way for us to understand this principle this morning. Imagine you've found the most amazing gift in the world. And the moment you saw it, you thought of a family member whom you had not spoken with in many years. It seems that you've had a falling out. So in spite of the high cost to this amazing gift, you buy the gift anyways. And you immediately send it to the family member. The only problem is that your family member is not interested in anything from you. Because remember, you've had this falling out. The moment he or she sees your name on the package, they throw the package in the garbage. The gift is never truly received. Now, it may have been the most amazing gift ever. It may have been something that you looked at and you thought, how could anybody not want this? But the mere fact that you paid the price and you sent it to them does not necessarily mean that they will receive that gift. In the same way, Jesus Christ paid an incredible price and he gave an incredible gift. And God sent that gift directly to us. But it's still up to us to choose whether to receive the gift that he gave. We can know all about it, but unless we choose to embrace that and allow it to penetrate our hearts and to change who we are, And we have never truly received the gift. God is offering you a gift today. He simply asks that each of us would receive that gift. Earlier in this same book, John says, To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What does it truly mean for us to believe, to receive this gift? What does it mean to believe? When you and I sit in a chair, we are believing that that chair will hold us up. Remember several years ago, I was in my office, I was on the phone with somebody, and I went to sit back in my chair, and I don't know, I think it was just old, it couldn't have been because I was too fat. But when I went to sit in the chair, the chair crumbled underneath me. And of course, the person on the other end of the phone didn't have a clue what was going on, but I caught myself just sitting there in the floor laughing. You know what? I trusted that that chair was actually going to hold me up. It didn't. But the fact that I trusted that chair made it possible for me to try to sit in that chair. We can believe that it will hold us up, but until we sit in it, we're not really demonstrating our faith in it. In the same way, a person can believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but never truly commit, never fully believe in Him and miss out on God's gift. 
The story is told of a circus performer by the name of Blondin, who stretched a long steel cable over Niagara Falls. During high winds and without a safety net, he walked, ran, and even danced across the tightrope to the amazement and delight of a large crowd of people who watched him. Once he took a wheelbarrow full of bricks and he amazed the crowd by pushing it effortlessly across the cable from one side of the falls to the other. Blondin then turned to the crowd and asked, now how many of you believe that I could push a man across this wire in a wheelbarrow? The vote was unanimous. They all believed that he could. Everyone cheered and they held their hands high. They all believed he could do it. Then asked Blondin, would one of you please volunteer to be that man? And as quickly as hands went up, they all went back down. Not a single person would volunteer to ride in the wheelbarrow and to trust his life to this man. Many people say to Jesus, yes, I believe. If you are among those who say that, are you willing to demonstrate your belief by trusting your life to him? You see, it's not enough to say you believe if you choose to live like you don't believe. It's not enough to say that you believe if you're going to walk out of this church and live like you didn't go to church today. The point is, it has to be more than just words. In order for it to be genuine belief, it ought to lead to action. It ought to change who we are. Has there ever been a time in your life that you believed, you truly committed your life to Christ? If not, I will tell you that today is a great time to do that. To put your faith in him, not just by saying you believe, but actually by being transformed by that belief. What will that look like? For each individual, we will have to walk away from different things. For many of us, we have allowed certain sins to dominate our lives. And when we choose to genuinely believe in him, we will walk away from many of those choices that we have made. It's possible that there may be family that doesn't like the choice that you make. But here's my question. Do you truly believe in Jesus Christ? If you truly believe in Jesus Christ and you truly want to receive his gift, then we need to be willing to follow no matter who approves or disapproves of this choice. No matter what sacrifices it requires of us, we must be willing to follow and respond. Now, there's one more thing that I want you to see from this passage. There is a very clear dividend or reward of receiving God's love. It says, anyone who believes upon the Lord shall not perish but have everlasting life. We tend to focus in on only heaven when we think about the dividend or the reward or the blessing of receiving God's gift of love to us. Yet there is so much more for us, so much more to experience. We experience forgiveness. We experience peace. We experience security, protection, a sense of purpose. And yes, the reality that when we do leave this life, 
we do have a promise of eternal life that awaits us. Revelation 21 verses 3 and 4 speaks of every tear being wiped away, never having to worry about sorrow in heaven again. 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about the coming of the Lord and ends by saying, therefore, encourage each other with these words, the idea that there is a day that's coming, that we have this promise, this reward that awaits us, and we ought to be able to celebrate that. What an incredible blessing. If you do have a 401k or a stock, you know how the dividends of that can fluctuate. One day it's up, the next day it's down. Lately, there have probably been more downs than ups. Yet the dividends we receive as a result of God's love are always constant. He has promised us his reward, and that's what we look forward to. I love the great hymns of the faith. They tell such powerful stories, and I fear sometimes we lose out when we totally exclude them from our worship. The story of Isaac Watts, the slave trader who came to know Christ, is widely known. They say he never got over the fact that God could love a sinner like him. He pinned, perhaps, the world's most favorite and most loved hymn, Amazing Grace, primarily based on the love that God had given to him. Yet he also penned another great hymn entitled, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. After talking about God's amazing love, He sums up his feelings in the last verse of the hymn by saying, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. As we launch this series focusing upon our love for God's church, I wanted us to begin today by seeing that this is all based on the love that God has offered to us. He, has the, he is the one who expressed his love. Long before we ever expressed any love to him, he gave it to us. In just a moment, I'm going to have the worship team come, and they're going to sing one last song. And as they sing this morning, I want to challenge you to examine your belief in God. And we talk about believing. Has it caused you to act? Or is it just something that you talk about? We're going to open up the altar this morning. And as they sing this song, maybe today you feel the need to come and to either renew or to begin a right relationship with him, to respond to his love and offer your love back to him. I'm going to invite you to come. I will ask that everybody stand as they sing. And if you are already in a right place with God, I ask that you would bow your heads and be praying for others around you as they sing this song. The altar is open. Lord, you have offered so much to us already. First, by sending your son Jesus Christ as our sacrifice. Lord, you have offered us the opportunity for redemption. You have given us an incredible love, one that is so great that it's hard for us to comprehend. But as we come before you now, we simply say thank you, and we offer back to you our love. 
Lord, for those who have come forward this morning, I pray that you would allow your Holy Spirit to cleanse them. Allow them to be made new. And from this moment forward, may they walk as those who have truly been redeemed by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Allow their faith, their belief to be more than just words, but let it be the driving force in their lives that no matter where they go, no matter what they do, no matter who is with them, may they be living examples of what it means to be redeemed by your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray today for each of us. I pray that you would help us to offer our lives back to you as you have been incredibly good. Lord, help us to respond with our love. Help us to respond with obedience. Help us to respond with the way we live our lives. I pray for others who are here today who perhaps they're still not sure if they're ready for this relationship with you. They know that you're good. They maybe even love the people in the church. But they're not really sure if they're at that point that they can truly put all of their faith in you. Lord, I pray today that you would impress upon their hearts how much you truly do love them. Lord, I pray that you would call them into a right relationship with you regardless of the consequence, regardless of how difficult their path may be, regardless of what they have to give up along the way. Lord, you have sacrificed everything for us. Lord, help us to respond with that same heart of sacrifice and love. And we will give you praise for what you do. Bless this church as we continue to respond to your love. Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to challenge you as a church to live like those who have been loved, for you are loved by Christ himself. Thank you for being with us this morning. Go in peace.